Father, we come to you today. And God, we give you praise that you care about every part of us. God, you know us better than we know ourselves. God, you know the good. God, you know the bad parts of us. You know our struggles. You know our pains. You know our desires. God, you know everything about us. Lord, we're just animated dust. And you are high and you are lifted up, but you love us. And God, you didn't have to do that. You did not have to love us. You're under no obligation to love us, but you do. We're so thankful that you're good to us. We're so thankful, God, that you are present in this place. And it's, God, not, it's not, God, that you're only present in this place. You exist outside of these four walls. In fact, the earth is yours and the fullness thereof. And the whole earth is being filled with your glory. But God, there is something special when your people gather together in one place, under one name, under one banner. And God, we believe that you are here in a special way today. God, we are so thankful for the Almond family. We are so thankful that they became a part of our church several years back. They've become part of this family. Lord, the church they attended before closed and, and, and they were able to come here and God I'm sure that was a scary thing but Lord I thank you that there was a congregation here that loved them and brought them in and they became part of what you are doing here and we're just so thankful that they are here with us they're so faithful they give they, they contribute their time and their talents to this family and God we approach you boldly but also humbly knowing who you are knowing how great and wonderful you are today and God we would boldly ask that you would bring healing to Emily's body God we know that she has had a struggle that goes deeper than what we understand you're the only one that really knows the struggle that she's gone through but God we pray that we, you would touch her we thank you for the medical personnel that have use their gifts and the abilities that you have placed in their lives we thank you for them and what they have done but God we declare this morning that you are the ultimate healer there is no healing that does not come from you whether those medical personnel know you or not the gifts and abilities they have are from you and God as they continue to search and as they continue to try to understand exactly what's going on God we pray you'd give them insight so that total healing could take place relief of pain God, that you would bring a refreshing to Emily's life, not only physically, but spiritually as well. And so, God, we anoint this morning in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, believing you are still a God that heals. You are still a God that can work in our physical, God. And we thank you that you can raise us up to new heights. We put our trust in you today, and we thank you ahead of time for the healing that is going to take place in Emily's life. God, we have one who's come right now who is facing a dire medical situation. One who has, has not been part of this church family, but God, we are thankful so much that your church reaches beyond these walls. Your church reaches beyond a congregational name or a pastor or a, a denomination or anything like that. God, you are so much bigger than any of those things. And today we come to you and we ask that you bring healing. God, we ask that you bring a special touch. God, we ask that you would work 
in this man's situation, in this family situation, God, to the point where you have to get the glory, God. We pray that it would be something that would glorify you what is done, that there would be no mistake that God showed up. And God, we anoint in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, God, we ask for total healing, total restoration, God. And we are believing, we're asking that in faith, God, knowing who you are. Knowing your character, God, we thank you that you are holy. And God, we're going to talk today about how holy you are. But Lord, out of your holiness comes a holy love for us. You love us perfectly. And we're so thankful for that today, God. Minister to us today. I pray that the Holy Spirit's ministry would be felt here today. God, I pray that we would have our cups upturned, ready to receive what you have for us, God. Ready to be transformed. We thank you, God, that you do not bring us into the family just to affirm us, but you bring us into the family to transform us, to make us something different, to make us a new creation, God. We are so thankful for that. You're making us look more and more like Jesus every day. If we'll just get us out of the way and let the Holy Spirit come through, God, I pray that you would let your Holy Spirit shine in my life. Let it shine. Let your Holy Spirit shine in the lives of this congregation. God, we pray, make us a light set on a hill, a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden, not for our glory. Not to our name be the glory, Lord, but to your name be the glory today. We love you. We praise you. We thank you for your presence. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray all these things. And Rushwood Church said together, amen. Thank you so much for praying with us this morning. And we want to show you a video at this time which will, uh, which will set up the sermon, what we're talking about today. Let's watch this together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Church, let it be so. Um, we are going to continue with our series, The Bible's Greatest Hits, today, and we are going to be looking at the Lord's Prayer, one of the most precious passages of Scripture to us. Um, but before we continue on, I want to give God some praise this morning and also in, in a form of a prayer request that I would ask you guys to pray for some things for my wife and myself and uh, also the network of churches that we're a part of. You may or may not know that we're a part of a network of churches, the North Carolina East District of the Wesleyan Church, which extends roughly from High Point, North Carolina to the coast. There's about 90 churches that are part of of our network, and our network extends on beyond that. 
um, but those are churches that are near and dear to our hearts that we partner with and we work with. And yesterday we had our district conference. We all came together to make decisions and vote on things and try to do the business of the church. And uh, I'm so thankful that we had uh, six representatives from this church that were part of that conference. In fact, if you were a representative yesterday to our district conference, either as a ministerial student or as a delegate that was elected from this congregation, would you stand and let us honor you this morning for your, your work that you did yesterday? If you, several of you would uh, just stand and uh, let, let's give these folks a round of applause for being part of that yesterday. Um, sometimes it amazes me that God lets me do what he does. Because I know me, and I know that I'm not perfect, far from it. I know that there's a, a lot of deficiencies in, in who I am. But we do serve a good father, and he loves us, and he allows us to serve in so many wonderful ways. And uh, yesterday, as we had elections for different things, um, I, have, uh, I was elected again to our district board, our network of churches that I just described to you. There's a board that oversees that, and so I was re-elected to that. I was already a part of that, but I was reaffirmed, and I will continue as a minister in that position. And so I, I'm very thankful that God uh, allowed that and that the people of our network uh, saw fit that, that I could serve in that capacity. Also in 2020, this will be late May, early June of 2020, we have what we call our general conference, which is that our network of churches from all over the United States and right now even into Canada will be coming together in St. Louis, Missouri for uh, about a four-day conference there to do kind of on a big scale what we did yesterday here. And so my wife and I both were elected to serve as part of the general conference. She did get more votes than I did, and um, I think that's because she's way prettier than I am. That's what I attribute that to. Uh, but uh, People are agreeing, and I uh, totally agree with that. But th we are thankful that God uh, gave us that honor that we're going to get to be a part of that. Uh, big decisions are made for a big group of Christians, and so it's very humbling to be part of that. Also, uh, I and some other pastors from our network had proposed a memorial. What a memorial does is a memorial can actually change the rules that we try to abide by within our network of churches. And so we had proposed a memorial about the dignity of human life. It covers things like abortion, euthanasia, human trafficking, those sort of, those sort of things, because there was really nothing in our rules with any teeth to it uh, on those issues. And so we wanted to establish that more deeply in who we are. And so it's not passed yet, it's not law yet, it's not part of how our churches, and, and of course we want everything to tie back to the Bible and what the Bible teaches. Uh, so it's not part of that yet, but it was recommended unanimously by our district conference yesterday to go on to the general conference in 2020. So I would ask that you would pray for that. There's statements in there against racism. There's statements in there uh, against all sorts of evils that are within our society right now. And we want to live above that. We want to, be, as Christians, be above those sort of things. And so pray for that as that continues to move on. Um, I believe that it's something that needs to be part of who we are uh, as Christians. And so uh, God was just good to us yesterday. It was a really good day. And I just wanted to give him some praise for that, that he continues to use me and my, my wife and our family 
personally for his ministry and for the for the furthering of the gospel. And so we're just very thankful for that. Would you join me in giving the Lord some praise for what he's doing in that? See if you guys know this. When God is good and all the time, amen. This morning we are going to look at the Lord's Prayer. Um, a precious prayer to us. Uh, last week I preached on Psalm chapter 23. And as I... Um, have occasion to honor people with funeral services. Most of the time when I go to the family, I will say, is there any scripture that, that was a blessing to you? Is there any scripture that you want included in this funeral service? And so many people said the 23rd Psalm and the Lord's Prayer that I just went ahead and built that into my funeral service that I do for people to honor them. We start out with the 23rd Psalm and we end up with the Lord's Prayer. It's, these scriptures are such blessings to people. They're so close to who we are as Christians. And so it, it's an honor to preach on those. It's a privilege to preach on those uh, yesterday, uh, last Sunday and also today. But today we are going to look at the Lord's Prayer. Now, you have to understand the Bible doesn't give it that name. The Bible doesn't say, this is the Lord's Prayer, dot, 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 and here's what follows. That's a name that tradition has given to this prayer. Probably if we were to properly label the Lord's Prayer, we'd have to look at John chapter 17. Before Jesus is arrested and before he's crucified, Jesus gives up what we call the high priestly prayer. Sharing his heart with the Father, sharing his heart with the disciples about not only his disciples who were present but also about us as well, those who would come, those who would follow. Isn't it amazing that on the night before Jesus died, he was thinking about you? If you're a follower of Jesus, he was thinking about you. You were on, there's an old Southern Gospel song, when he was on the cross, I was on his mind. Literally, you, we were on his mind, those of us who have come to follow Jesus before he laid his life down. And so that's probably, if we were to properly label it, that's probably what we should call the Lord's Prayer. But we're going to stick with tradition today. This is the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. They realized, these men who followed Jesus, they realized there was something different about his prayer life than their own prayer life. They realized because Jesus would from time to time pull away and he would go to lonely places he would go to places where he could get alone with the father and I'm sure they saw time and time again how God the father answered Jesus's prayers and they knew there was something different about Jesus when Jesus prayed God the father moved God the Holy Spirit moved and I'm sure they saw that when they prayed it didn't always happen that way so they approached Jesus and they don't say Lord teach us to preach although Jesus was the greatest preacher who ever lived. And they did not come to him and say, Lord, teach us to heal, although Jesus was the greatest healer who ever lived. They didn't say, Lord, teach us to lead, although Jesus was the greatest leader who ever lived. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. There has to be something special about prayer for them to approach the Lord in the three years that they were with him and say, please, Lord, teach us how to pray. And so the Lord's Prayer is actually Jesus teaching them how to pray, how they ought to pray when they approach God the Father. And look, I have, I have dissected this several times for you over the years. There's so many different angles that you can take on the Lord's Prayer. In fact, it's kind of a model of how we should pray. We should start out praising God 
and exalting him. Too many times, myself included, we rush right ahead to our needs and we forget to praise and exalt him for who he is. Praise and exalt him for what he's done. Too many times we get to us and we forget about it. But that's just like us, isn't it? Isn't that just like us to come to me before we remember him? And so Jesus is saying, look, you need to stop and you need to remember who your Father in heaven is, first of all. And so you can break it down in that way. But to kind of what we've been doing lately, I want to just take this verse by verse, line by line for the very most part, and to break down some of the things about the Lord's Prayer that maybe we don't realize. And again, to see how Jesus prayed. Yes, he was God, but he was also man. He was also man. He lived as we have lived and yet without sin. But he lived the full human experience. If he did not live the full human experience, he could not have been the sacrifice that we needed to save us from our sins. He lived like we do. He depended on the Father as a human being on earth. Although he was God, he laid that aside. He laid those rights aside so he could live like us. And he shows us how to pray. There's two places you can find the Lord's Prayer in the Bible. You can find it in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, or you can find the Lord's Prayer in Luke chapter 11. Today we're going to look at the Matthew chapter 6 scripture uh, to, to dissect the Lord's Prayer and to see what God has for us today. We're going to use the New American Standard Bible translation this morning. It's very close to the traditional Lord's Prayer, but it kind of leaves out the these and thys and some of the things that we stumble over as modern English speakers. So that's the translation I'm using today. And like I said, just like we did with John 3.16, just like I, we did with the 23rd Psalm, we're going to take it one piece at a time this morning. Are you ready? By the way, I hope afterwards, let me say this while I'm thinking of it, I hope afterwards you will take advantage uh, we do have an Awanas lunch that's going on to support our Awanas group. Uh, all, all the proceeds from that lunch will go to support our Wednesday night Awanas group, which is doing amazing things for our children. And so even if you had other lunch plans, God will let you cancel them, and he'll let you come and be part of the fellowship and the food and everything. It's a $5 suggested donation for adults. Three for kids. I just had to say that while I had the chance. Come and take advantage of that. Some fellowship and supporting a really great cause. But let's take this part by part this morning. Starts out by saying, Our Father. Our Father. It is important. Don't gloss over this. Don't leap over this. Don't move on too quickly. It is important to note that God reveals himself to us as our Father. That's really important. That's really special. That's really amazing. In other systems of belief, which in a couple of weeks on Wednesday night, we're going to start studying world religions and cults. I hope you'll come and you'll be part of that class that I'm about to teach. I worked real hard to put this one together for you, and I hope you'll come be part of that. You'll sign up for that on Wednesday nights. In other systems of belief, God is not revealed as a father the way he is in Christianity. In fact, you may have heard that in the Old Testament, God is never referred to as a father. That's not exactly true. There are about five times in the Old Testament where God is explicitly referred to as father. But in the length of the Old Testament, that's not very much. But when Jesus gets a hold of the concept, he expands it, he highlights it, he drives it home. He makes sure we understand because Jesus related to God as father. Jesus knew and Jesus understood better than any of us the kind of father that God was. And so Jesus is making sure that we get it. God is our father. He's our father and that's how God relates to us. 
he is, as we sang this morning, he is not just a father, he's a good, good father. He's a father that loves us. And this morning I know I, I, always, I was so blessed to grow up with the parents that I grew up with. I started the race way ahead of some people because of the parents I grew up with. But I had a really good father growing up. And maybe some of you didn't. They say that's one of the common things about atheists in our day. Most atheists, most agnostics generally had a bad relationship with their father. That's not saying that everyone who has a bad relationship with their father is going to be an atheist or an agnostic, but that's a common theme because a lot of times our father, the way we view our father, we project that onto God. And I want to tell you this morning, you've heard me say this before, but it bears repeating. I want to tell you this morning, I don't care how your dad was. If your dad was a wonderful father like I had, or if your dad was a terrible father, or if you didn't even know your dad, and I know there's some people that hardly knew their dad growing up, don't project that onto God. He's a good father. He's a good father. He loves you. He cares for you. Now, he's a strong father. He's a strong father. He's not some wimpy father. He's not one that just approves of everything. He's a strong father, but he's a good and loving father. And you need to hear, somebody probably needs to hear this this morning. You can trust him. You can trust God as your father because he is a good father over us, and he loves us so well. What does a good father do? Let's talk about that a little bit this morning. A good father, first of all, gives life, and God is the giver of life. Every breath you take, Every single breath you take, God has given you that. There are people who curse God's name, and God is so good, he gave them the breath that they used to curse him. But I'd rather use my breath to praise him. I'd rather use my breath to exalt his name and praise who he is. I'd rather use my breath to magnify him. The Bible says in Psalms, let everything that has breath do what? Praise the Lord. Everything that has. Can you praise him this morning? Can we just have a praise break and just praise him this morning for who he is? He's worthy of our praise today. He's worthy of more praise than we could ever give him. But he gives us life. A good father gives life. A good father protects us. You would be amazed if you could peel back and see behind the scenes. You would be amazed at the way God has protected you this week. You probably never realized it. I probably never realized it. But God has protected us this week, this month, this year. God has brought us to where we are. God is always working on our behalf. He protects us because he's a good father. A good father also corrects. As kids, we don't like that. We don't like that. I always said growing up, most of the trouble I got into as a kid happened in church. Because my mom and dad did not play in church. You were in church, you were there to worship, you were there to pay attention. You used the bathroom before you got into service. You didn't get up and walk in and out, that sort of thing. You were there to pay attention. You goofed off. You played around with your friends or whatever. You were getting it when you got home. Anybody's mom and dad have that look? They'd snap around. My, my wife said her mom would snap her fingers and point. And she knew, I better stop doing what I'm doing or I'm going to get into it after this service is over. Correction, correction. A good father corrects us. We have, such a, we have such a high view of ourselves in this society anymore. It's amazing to us to even stop and think that somebody might say, you were wrong in that. But if you ever get into an argument with God, guess who's wrong? You are. He's a father who corrects. He's a father who guides us. He directs us. 
A good father gives direction. A good father says, you know what, you don't need to go down that path. Here's a better path for you. A good father imparts wisdom. That's who God is. And if we let God, God will give us life. He'll protect. He'll provide. He'll correct. He'll direct. He'll do all those things if we'll just get out of his way and let him be the good father that he is. How many of you are glad this morning that you have a good father in the Lord? How many are you glad? Can you say this morning, I'm so glad that God is my father. I'm so glad that he is my eternal father. Yes, I have an earthly father, but I have a father in heaven who is the perfect father. He's the perfect father. I'm so glad that I am his and he is mine. That God is our father. Let's camp out here for just one more point. That God is our father means some things. Let me give you just one. If God is our Father, is that true, church? If that's true, nod your head up and down. If God is our Father, and is God the King? Nod your head. God is our Father, and God is the King. So if God is our Father, and God is the King, that means we are children, or we are His children, and that means that we are children of who? The King. We are children of the King. We are children of royalty. That means if you're a child of royalty, what does that mean for you? You're royalty. You're royalty. If you are born to the king and queen of England, you are royalty by virtue of your birth. We are royalty by virtue of our new birth. We are children of the king, blood-bought, blood-washed. We've been purchased by the king. We've been adopted into his family. And so we are children of the king this morning. We are royalty this morning. That also means one more thing. That means you should never ever let the devil come to you and tell you that you're not worthy now in and of yourself you're not worthy in and of myself I am not worthy but through the blood of Jesus Christ we have been made worthy we have been made into royalty and I don't have to listen to the devil when he comes around and says you're not good enough I don't have to listen to him when he reminds me of my past because I have a future in Jesus Christ I have new life in Jesus Christ the past is gone but there's a new day in Jesus I don't have to listen to that. So when Satan comes around whispering, you remember what you used to be like? If these people only knew your past, if these people only knew the struggles that you have, God can't use you. When Satan comes and he starts to tell you things like that, he'll say to you, you might as well go back to your old ways. You might as well go back to your old, old habits and your old, old self. When Satan does that, when he starts putting those thoughts in your head, because that's what he's like, that's what he's like. He's an accuser. He's an accuser of the brethren. When Satan starts putting those thoughts in your head, I want you to say, and you can say it out loud, because Satan isn't like God. He doesn't know your thoughts. Okay? He's, not, he's not omniscient like God is. I want you to say out loud, Devil, I don't know who you're talking to, but I'm a child of the king. I don't know who you're accusing, but I am a child of God. I am royalty. The past is gone and the future is here in Jesus Christ. Just speak right back to him. Get out of my life. Get out of my head. I'm walking forward with Jesus Christ. We are children of God. Our Father. Our Father. Our Father. What a great gift that is. What a precious truth that is this morning. We are children of the King. We have to keep moving on. Lasagna is waiting. We have to keep moving on. That was just two words. We've got to keep moving on. Our Father next. Our Father who is in heaven. Our Father who is in heaven. Well, what is heaven? Heaven is the eternal home of God. It is the, 
place where God dwells. It is God's residence. It's a real place. By the way, when I write, I always try to capitalize heaven and hell because they're real places. If you know your grammar, you're supposed to capitalize the proper name of places. So if I write Chicago, I, I capitalize the C. If I write Tokyo, I capitalize the T. When I write heaven and hell, I capitalize the H's in those words because they're real places. They're not less than. They're actually more real. And we have to have an awareness of that reality. But in the Bible, there are three heavens. There's a first heaven, a second heaven, and a third heaven. The first heaven is the sky. It's the atmosphere around us. It's the, where the clouds are, where the birds are, where airplanes now fly. By the way, I love to look up at the sky. The Bible tells us in Psalm 19 that the heavens declare the glory of God. I love to look up into the sky during the day, but there's a second heaven I can look into at night, and I can see the stars shining above. Now, light pollution kind of takes that away a little bit. If you're in the city, you're not going to see all the stars, but get out someplace where there's not a lot of artificial light and look up in the sky and see the countless stars that are above you. That's the second heaven. They declare, those heavens declare the glory of God. I've had people say before, well, if there's a God, why is all that so big and we're so small? We're so tiny in the, in the great scheme of this universe. This world is so tiny. Why are we so tiny? And there's all that space out there. Seems like a big waste. But Psalm 19 gives us the answer. The heavens are declaring the glory of God. So if you're going to declare God's glory, it better be big. It better be impressive. It better be amazing to declare the glory of God. I love to look up at the night sky and see what God has created, what God has spoken into existence. The Bible tells us he calls all the stars by name. Mankind has named some of them. He knows every one of them. He knows every star that's out there, and he has a name for each one. And so that's the second heaven. But the Bible tells us there's a third heaven that is beyond all that. That's what this scripture is talking about. It's where God lives. It's where God dwells. It's his perfect place. It's the perfect place of God. God is way beyond us, way beyond us. But here's the great thing about God. Even though he's in heaven and we're on earth, even though he's in perfection and in light and we're in this broken world, God is always willing to come to us. God is always willing, even though he's in the splendor of glory, he's willing to step out of that and come to us. The word of God is the wisdom of heaven come to earth. Oh, we take this book for granted, church. We take this book for granted. There, This is the wisdom of God come to earth. I'm holding it in my hand. That's overwhelming if you really stop and think about it. This is the wisdom of God, and we have it here, and we can take it into our lives, and it can shape us, and it can form us, and it can move us forward. The wisdom of God, the Word of God, come to earth. That's one way that God has stepped out for us. But even, even, maybe even more wonderful than that, Jesus Christ was heaven come to earth. He was the prince of heaven come to earth. He stepped off of his throne in glory and he laid himself down on a cross for us. God's always willing. to, Even though he lives in heaven, he's willing to come to his people. And if you read the back of this book, Revelation chapter 21 and 22, there's a heaven there and there's a new Jerusalem and it's going to come down to earth. We always talk about, you know, we sing the song, I'll fly away, oh glory, I'll fly away. Great song, I love bluegrass and all that, that's wonderful. But really what it's telling us at the end of Revelation is heaven's going to meet earth. Heaven's coming to earth. 
the glory of God, the splendor of God, the, ple- the presence of God is going to be among men. And that's how the story ends when we read the back of this book. God is always willing to come to his children. And the fact that he's always willing to come to his children tells us a lot about who he is and what he's like. He loves us enough that he'll come to us. Religion is us trying to get to God. Christianity is God coming to man through Jesus Christ. I'm glad I don't have a religion necessarily. I'm glad that I have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. It's totally different than anything else. God coming to us. We'll continue on. Learn more about God. Jesus says, we should pray, hallowed be your name. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That word hallowed, we don't use that a whole lot. Basically what it means is holy. Exalted, magnified, wonderful, glorious. Hallowed be your name. God our Father, your name is holy. Your name is holy. We have this concept in our culture of God as this kindly old cosmic grandpa who just really loves everything about us. You know, I had problems growing up. My mom and dad would tell you I was not a perfect kid, but they'll tell you their four grandchildren are perfect. There's absolutely nothing wrong with them. These kids are perfect. They're wonderful, you know. But God is not described as a grandparent. He's described as a father. God is not like that where he's just wanting to affirm everything about us. He's holy, and he wants us to come into his holiness. I heard a pastor, an older pastor, speak on this a couple of weeks ago, and he said something that really grabbed me, something that really touched my heart, touched my mind. I'm quoting him as exactly as I can. He said, God is holy, and because God is holy, that means he is dangerous for unholy people to be around. Let me say that again in case you didn't catch it the first time. God is holy, and he's dangerous for unholy people to be around. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 29 puts it this way. For our God is a consuming fire. All throughout the scripture, God is described as a fire. And Hebrews says he's a consuming fire. Now, if you put certain materials in fire, all fire does to those materials is it purifies those materials. It takes out the stuff that shouldn't be there. It refines them. It makes them pure. It makes them more valuable. There's certain materials, precious metals and those things. When you put them in the fire, they're refined by the fire. But there are certain things when you put them in the fire, fire burns them up and destroys them. The question for us is, God is a fire. That's non-negotiable. He's a consuming fire. The question for us is, are we the kind of material that he purifies or are we the kind of material he burns up? If we're his, he's going to purify us. If if we're his, he's going to get rid of the dross so the silver is pure. But if we're not his, he's going to burn us up. He's going to consume us. A holy God is dangerous for unholy people to be around. We play with God too much. We play with him too much. His name is holy. He's set apart. He's great. He's wonderful. He's magnified. He's exalted. We need to know who he is. He's pure. Isn't it great that God is pure? If God wasn't pure, his love would not be pure. But because he's holy, he offers to us a holy love that refines us. And ultimately, as I always say, he's making us more like Jesus. That's his goal is to make us more like his son, Jesus. He's holy. Because God is holy, what should we want? If he's a holy God, what should we want from him? Well, we should want that his kingdom would come 
and his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. We want to see the same sort of things happening here that are happening in glory where God dwells. We want to see heaven come to earth, not in a sense that we have the power to bring heaven to earth totally, but we can be a prophetic vision of what heaven is going to be like through the way we live, the way we act, the way we love in this world. When I was at UNCG as a college student, undergrad student, I took a class called On Earth As It Is In Heaven. It was a religion course. I thought it would be interesting, and man, it really was. Um, on Earth As It Is In Heaven. My professor was an agnostic, and uh, we had all sorts of different things that we studied about how people tried to make their vision of heaven happen on earth. And so we read the Communist Manifesto. My response to that one got me in a mild bit of trouble. Uh, we read Dr. King's letters from a Birmingham jail, which I really actually enjoyed that. Uh, we read a Jewish Passover ceremony, which I thought was very interesting, and I learned a lot from that. We read environmentalist writings. We read all these different visions of how to bring heaven to earth. And I can tell you what I took away from that class besides a B when I probably deserved an A. Uh, what I took away from that class was the closer the person's vision of what earth should look like to God's vision of what earth should look like, the more that the thing lasted and the, thing, the, more, the, the, the way the thing made a more of an impact in this world. There were a lot of people we read after that had good intentions, but as they felt short of God's view of what earth should look like, so their movements or so their philosophies fell short. It was the ones that tried to mirror what this word says and what God, the things that God has said to give us a view of what earth should look like in relationship to heaven. Those were the things that lasted. Those were the things that transformed societies. Those were the things that gave us a little glimpse of what heaven would be like. You say, well, Brent, I don't care about all that stuff. I'm not interested in it all. I don't even know why you told me that. But that's a good, it, it, that's mirrored in our lives. That's a good reflection of what our lives need to be like. The more we try to align our lives with God's purposes, the more we try to align our lives with His view of what earth should look like in reflection of heaven, the more our lives are worth something. The more our lives transform this world that's around us, the more that we have beauty, the beauty of heaven come to earth. But when we close ourselves to God's will, we can actually unleash a vision of hell on earth. Think about some of the regimes that exalted God or exalted man above God and the things they brought to this earth, the millions who were killed because of that warped view of what heaven on earth would really be like. Our lives need to reflect His glory. This earth needs to reflect His will in heaven. I don't know about you, but I want God's will to be done in my life all the time. All the time I want his will to be done. Not just his permissive will, his perfect will. The will that he has set apart for my life. And I know that, that I get in the way of that sometimes. But as much as possible, I want to lay my life before him and be used by him. Next part of the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. Look at what that says. We're not asking for riches. We're not asking for luxury. We're not to ask for more than everyone else around us. A lot of times we get in a competition spirit of, oh, that person has this, so I need that or I need more than that. No, that's not what we're to ask for. We're only to ask God to provide for our needs. 
God, provide our needs. God, you know what we need. God, provide it for us, we pray. Here Jesus is picking up a concept from Proverbs chapter 30. A lot of people don't know these verses, but I think they're wonderfully instructive verses on what we should expect and, and how we should live. Proverbs chapter 30, verses 7 through 9. This is the New Living Translation this morning. It says, Two things I ask of you, Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. We talked about that when we talked about the Ten Commandments, how everything needs to be built on truth. If things are not built on truth, everything falls apart. We need a bedrock of truth. And so the one writing the proverb here says, Keep lies away from me. Keep falsehoods away from me. But then he goes on to say, Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. God, give me what I need. I don't know, as a father of a family of four, a wife and, and four kids, I feel the need to provide for my family. I feel the need to make sure they have not, not everything they want, but everything that they need. I feel that need urgently, but I have to remind myself, ultimately it's God who's the ultimate provider. Not me, not my ingenuity, not my work. It's God who ultimately provides. So the one writing pro the proverb here says, give me what I need. I'm not asking for riches. I'm not asking for poverty. I'm asking for what I need. And then the verse continues on. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? God, I did this all by myself. Why do I need you? There was a Simpsons episode years ago. You know how long that show has been running. But there was a Simpsons episode many years ago. And they're at the Thanksgiving table. And they're praying over the Thanksgiving meal. And they ask Bart to pray. And, and Bart says, basically, basically, God, I, I don't know why we're thanking you for this. We earned all this stuff ourselves. That's a little insightful because if we were honest, that's the way a lot of people feel. A lot of people feel like, God, we did this. Why do we need you, God? We did this stuff on our own. So we, if we become too rich, we might say that. Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. In other words, feel like I have to take it into my own hands. And so Jesus is picking up on that and saying, don't pray for riches, although God does bless some Christians with wealth. God gives us a gift of generosity, and he, is, he gives us that gift of generosity. If you don't have something to give out of, you probably can't give. And so God blesses some people that way, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. But don't make me rich, God. Don't make me poor. Just provide what I need. Provide what I need. And so Jesus says, Father, give us this day our daily bread. Give us what we need. Jesus continues on. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Or some translations say, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. Matthew chapter 6, verse 14 through 15, goes on to explain why we need to forgive. It says, For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Church, if I read this right, what that's saying is, if you're not a person who forgives... If you're not a person of forgiveness, then you're not going to make it to heaven. Because if, we're really, if we've really received the forgiveness that Jesus Christ offers, if we've been forgiven for our sins, and then we turn around and we don't forgive other people for what they've done against us, actually that's a sign that maybe we never received forgiveness in the first place. And look, I'm not saying it's easy. 
I'm a person who feels things deeply. When somebody wrongs me or I feel like somebody's wronged me, when somebody rejects me, when somebody betrays me, it's tough for me to get over. I don't just snap my fingers and I'm over it. And if it was a person I was especially close to, then it can be even tougher for me to get past that and forgive and to move on. And there have been times in my life where I could not do it. I had it in my heart. It was a bitterness that started to grow up, and I could not let go of it. And I, I finally had to say, God, I can't deal with this. Take it from me. And he was so merciful and he was so loving that eventually he reached down and he took it away from me. He said, I'm going to take care of that for you. But we have to put it in his hands. We have to turn it over to him. We have to be a people of forgiveness. And I'm not just saying it's easy. That's not what I'm saying today, church. But it is necessary. If we've been forgiven, we must also forgive. If God has canceled out our great debt, then we have to cancel out the small debts that are against us. Be a person of forgiveness. Be a person of forgiveness. Forgive our, their debts. Or forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Each one of us, church, has, we have our blind spots, we have our tough spots, we have our spots where we are more susceptible. And you know, Satan doesn't have a lot of new tricks. His old tricks have worked for a long time. He doesn't have to generally invent anything new to get us. He knows our spots. He knows the problems that each one of us have. And it might be different. Mine might be different than yours. For some of us, it's pride. I've told you before, there's a healthy pride that we can find in the Bible, but there's also an unhealthy pride, a self-righteous type of pride. And for some of us, we may just think too highly of ourselves. Sometimes I struggle to think highly of myself enough, but there are some who struggle with that, and Satan knows that that's a weak spot for you. For some, it's lust. For some, it's lust. The, the area of relationships and that sort of thing can be a, a blind spot or a negative spot for some people. For some, it's greed. For some people, they can't be content with what they have. They always want just a little bit more. And You know, in America, we have so much more than most people around this world. The poorest among us are rich compared to the rest of the world. But too many times, once we have, we want more and more and more, and we're never satisfied. For some, it's anger. I've had people tell me before, I have anger issues. I have a tough time dealing with anger. Sometimes I can be angry. That's one of the things I've had to deal with in my life and, and learn how to have God help me get past that. For some of us, we don't talk about this one always, but for some of us, it's laziness. Some of us, God has blessed us with so many gifts and so many talents and so many things we could leverage for his kingdom, but we're lazy. If we would just put some work ethic behind it, if we would just put some diligence behind it, it would be amazing what we could do for God. But we're slothful. We're lazy. There's a bunch of different temptations. There's a bunch of different blind spots, weak spots that we can have. And here's the problem with temptation. Too many times with temptation, you can find yourself in the middle of it before you even know it's coming. You can find yourself in the middle of that place before you even know it's going to happen. And so this part of the prayer says, God, we want you to keep us from sin. And God, if you would, if you would just give us the grace, don't even let us fall into the temptation that leads to the sin. Now, temptation itself is not a sin. The Bible tells us Jesus was tempted in all points like we are, yet without sin. 
So that tells us that the temptation is not to sin. It's the yielding to the temptation. But this prayer is for a special grace. God, keep me from even falling into the trap. Keep me from tripping. Keep me from stumbling. Keep me from getting there before I know it. And by the way, we have a part of that too. If you know you have a specific temptation, don't put yourself in places where that, you can be susceptible to that. You, you have to have some wisdom on your own as well. But God, don't lead us into temptation. God, please deliver us from evil. Don't just pull us out of evil, God, but we're praying you would keep us from it in the first place. And then it ends up this way. The Lord's Prayer has this glorious end. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. And some people say, and ever. And ever. Amen. We're confessing here, God, it's not my kingdom that you're building. Too many times we want a kingdom of our own. That was Satan's great sin. He wanted a kingdom of his own. God, it's not my kingdom that's being built, it's yours. God, it's not my power that's making this kingdom be built, it's yours. At the end, we'll get crowns, we'll get rewards for what we've done. And you know what we're going to do? We're going to lay them at the feet of Jesus. Because he's the one that did it all anyway. His power through us. It's not my power, God, it's your power that's making it happen. God, it's not for my glory that you are doing what you're doing in this earth. God, it's for your glory. Not to our name, O oh Lord, but to your name be the glory. I pray it would be wonderful to me if whenever God takes me home, if my ministerial career, I didn't get any credit for that, if this church didn't get any credit for the things we do, if all the glory went to Jesus Christ, that'd be the greatest thing ever. I don't, I don't need glory. I know what glory would do to me if I, if I got glory. I, I have to stay away from that sort of thing. I don't want the name of Brent Tysinger to be exalted, the name of Rushwood Church to be exalted. I don't want any name exalted but Jesus Christ. At the end, it's for His glory that everything is happening. It's not about me, Lord. It's all about you. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. We're going to end this morning with a, a special song. You don't have to stand and sing this. Sometimes it, it's great to come together and worship corporately. That's wonderful. But sometimes it's great to just sit back and listen and let the words of a song wash over you this morning. And so this morning we're going to present a medley to you of two songs I think you're going to recognize. If you want to sing along, there's no problem with that. But most of all, I want you just to sit back and hear what God has to say to you this morning through this song. We do ask and we invite, we'd love for you to share in a time of fellowship with us this morning or this afternoon. We, we'd ask that you come and participate in that. I think that's going to be a real blessing to you. Maybe once in a while, though, maybe once in a while it would be great in your prayers just to take time and pray through the Lord's Prayer, to really reflect on the words, to reflect on what God is saying to us in that prayer. It's powerful there because Jesus said this is the way we're supposed to pray as Christians. Listen to what the worship team has prepared for you this morning and, and follow God. If, he, if you need to come up and pray, you're welcome to do that. If you want to kneel in your pew, you're welcome to do that. If you want to just sing along, you're welcome to do that. If you want to just listen this morning, you're welcome to do that. Let's, God, let's let God end up this service well for us this morning.
Let's stand together, church. Father, we exalt your name again. From the rising of the sun to the place where it sits, the name of the Lord is to be praised. And God, I pray that we would praise you with our words and we would also praise you with our lives. Thank you that you don't keep your holiness to yourself, but God, you want to set us apart and make us a holy people for your service. Lord, I pray as we go across and we eat lunch together, Father, I pray you would bless that food to our bodies, help us do your will and only your will on the strength of it. God, I pray that you would 
use it to bless the Awana program that we have here and the good things that are going on there, God. Thank you for those that have worked to prepare that. Thank you for our time together. God, we pray that this week we would focus on you in a new way. We pray that you would be clearly seen in our lives. Lord, we love you. We praise you. Yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever and ever. And Rushwood Church said together, amen. Look, I love you, church, and there's not a thing in the world that you can do about it. So I hope you have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday. God bless you guys.